Welcome everyone to Real Asian Podcast. I am Raymond Liu, and I have a very, 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 very special guest joining me today. We have Cat Liu. So Cat is the person behind the very popular Subtle Asian Baking. I've you know perused through your page, the Instagram page, and it's super great that what you've been able to do and the the kind of community that's been built around it. Thank you, Cat, so much for jumping on our pod today. Super excited to talk with you um, today. We are going to be talking about one of Kat's favorite movies, House of Flying Daggers. You probably should have heard it. It's just definitely one of the classics. came out in 2004. But before we actually get into it, I do want to spend a little bit of time of just getting to know Kat. So this is the first time Kat and I have met, and I'm super appreciative that um, you're on today. So Kat, if you could just start off simply with just kind of telling me where you grew up and where you're from and just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I'm actually from uh, Montreal, Canada. That's where I was born. But my dad drove us um, when I was two years old. So this is in the 80s um, from Montreal all the way to New York City. And that's where I was raised, of course, for like over 30 years. And I'm a, a New Yorker in, in my heart, of course. Nice. <laughs> my Yeah, my family, my mom is from Hong Kong, Canton area. And my dad, he's a half Vietnamese and half Chinese. So I'm a little bit mm. of everything. <laughs> awesome. I'm yeah. half Chinese, half Vietnamese too. Awesome. So we're like, you know, related maybe. Yeah. <laughs> possibly. We possibly, all, you know, possibly. We all we're have all related same, in some way. Exactly. We're all like, you know, Neanderthals or some kind of um, ancient humans, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. We all have that ties to go back to the homeland. Um, so you grew up in New York. When was the last time you've been back or visited New York? 2020 was when I was back. It was um, it was kind of sad experience because it was mm. when, you know, COVID happened and my dad was getting very sick. You know, it was actually mm. the last time I saw him in um in 2020. Um, haven't been back since then, but I do plan to um eventually, you know, visit family because a lot of friends and family are still there. So you were back in 2020. Was that was like right when the pandemic started, like during or I think like January and February were the last normal months we had in 2020. Uh, yes. I mean, everything's <laughs> melting and blurring together. But that was yeah, um, I know, right? <laughs> summer, Ju July 2020. So like when things were mm. still very bad, you know, we didn't have the vaccines yet. Um, hospitals wouldn't let you visit, you know, people like my dad was hospitalized twice in New York City. So I had to like really beg and push my way through. Like I actually used to work mm -hmm. for, for the hospital that he was in. And they gave mm. me like a little bit of a um, courtesy, I guess, because I was a former employee uh, employee yeah. but it was still very very hard it was like the t i think it was the toughest time i, I think in america sure. now it's gotten much much better mm. well definitely well wishes to you and all your family over there in the east coast definitely um i mean everyone over there it's been it's been tough uh, but i'm really glad to see people like yourself and other you know api creators and content creators i've been super inspired to see a lot of people use their voice and platforms to to share more positive messages and, you know, have messages of hope and to show that, you know, we're all kind of in this together. And, um, but yeah, so speaking of which, I'm very curious in terms of how and why you uh, started Subtle Asian Baking. Yeah, so again, it's, it's a 2020 
thing that happened, you know, right around、mm-hmm. COVID. I was、yeah. coming back from a trip in Tokyo, Japan. That was February 2020. You know, do you remember when there was a, a cruise line in Japan and people were stuck in there when COVID was yeah. happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So everyone was telling me not to go to Japan. We were wearing face masks already and we were scared, but we had a wonderful experience where I had like, you know, Japanese cheesecakes, chew creme, and all、mm. the, the amazing Japanese goodies, mochis and milk bread and, you know, all of that. And I was remembering it when we came back and I was very nostalgic for it. And then, you know, very quickly in March, the, the quarantining things happened. People were working、right. from home. I'm suddenly baking again. And I want to bake the Asian way because like everything that I want to eat is either across the ocean, right? <laughs> on the other hemisphere,、yeah. or you have to drive now because I'm in the Renton area where everything's far away, right? So, and I don't like to drive. I hate to drive. It gives me so, so much anxiety. You know, New Yorkers,、yeah. a lot of them don't drive, but I had been driving and I've crashed so much. So coming here, I had to drive again. And I was like, if I don't have to, I don't want to. Let me just、yeah. bake at home, right? And、oh, I'm looking, <laughs> exactly. And I'm looking for like recipes online. I saw a lot of websites, but I didn't see like a collective space, like subtle Asian traits or subtle Asian cooking specifically for baking the Asian way. So I was like, you know, maybe that's a need that we need right now. There's so many people like me who are not with their families who are probably nostalgic for all the goodies that they had across Asia, for,、uh, the goodies that they had growing up. You know, they want to bake this way too. They want an egg tart. Right. Yeah. You want the foods that comfort you, right? That you remember、mm-hmm. from your childhood. So then, you know, it, it was a spur of a moment idea. I created the group on Facebook. That was the first thing that happened. I thought, you know, it'd be small, maybe a hundred of my best friends would be on the group.、Right. It blew up. And then <laughs> it just blew up. It started in May 2020. By December 2020, we already had like 60 to 70,000 members just on Facebook. We had an eater.com feature, right? That、yeah. catapulted us globally. And then we even got like a book deal from, from the eater article. Like,、um, nice. An editor saw the article and they're like, Are you guys writing a cookbook? And I'm like, I thought about writing books. I've always、yeah. wanted to write books, right? But not really a cookbook, but it happened. So I wrote the book. <laughs> That's、mm-hmm. going to be out in uh, uh, June this year. And then. That's lovely. And, and just from here, like, you know, everyone is so much like excited and interested to bake the Asian way. So if you Google Asian baking right now, you'll see like our website, modernasianbaking.com. You'll see like our Instagram page, our TikTok page. It's just really, really blown up. Like, It's a new culinary innovation field and、mm-hmm. it's for everyone. It's not just for Asians. It's, it's diverse and it's inclusive and it's just wonderful. That's really incredible. And、uh, to see, I, I mean, I have to imagine for you, you just started like this group. Again, you said maybe it was just kind of like a small thing for me, my friends, and probably the original intent is to share photos of the creations that people make, you know, and the, I, in baking too, you can be so creative and so colorful. It's really quite beautiful. And then you see just hundreds and hundreds of people just like joining in and,、yep. and showing their creations and stuff like that. I mean, definitely baking became such a huge personal like、uh, skill that a lot of people either they were already pretty good at and got even better at it, or they never baked before and they're just like, hey, you know, I'm stuck at home. I have some time.、Mm-hmm. Might as well kind of get into it. And then a lot of people just were able to share and stuff like that. And I mean, what kind of feeling or emotion did you get when you started to 
realized that more and more people were joining and uh, joining the Facebook group and uh, and sharing their creations. Like, were there any point where you just felt like, oh, this is something that's like way bigger than what you originally intended? I mean, it's it just keeps growing. Like, not just from the Facebook group now. Now we have Instagram, which we have over a hundred thousand followers too, and then we have our TikTok, um, nearly sixty thousand followers there. We're growing our YouTube. Like, I never expected it to grow like this. And then mm-hmm. someone just told me, like, you know, it's just gonna keep growing because. People want these flavors, these colors, you know, these techniques and these stories. Like, um, they're just, it's just been so inspiring. And I, I like to mm-hmm. call like our community a family. And it feels like that too. You know, since 2020, not only has our community grown, but our bakers who are part of this family have grown too. Like so many of them have, have become like full-time bakers, like social media stars. Some of them right. are famous, you know, they're always on right. like, BuzzFeed and things like that. So we've all grown together and encouraged each other and inspired each other. So it's just been so amazing, but so unexpected and so welcomed, Raymond. That's really great. Uh, Quick question. What's your favorite thing to bake? Do you have a favorite thing, I guess? That's hard. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I think the best thing to bake is what you like to eat, right? Mm, So I love Japanese cheesecakes. And that's the one thing that turned me into like, um, a fan of Asian baking, right? So if you yeah. can perfect a Japanese cheesecake, you can basically bake anything. You can bake the oh, chiffon really? cakes. Yeah, you can do, you can do cookies and bread. And then the second one would be right now is milk bread. What What about Japanese cheesecake that makes it so particular? And I guess it sounds like it's really difficult to to get down. But what What about it is just makes it really uh, particular? I think it's. At first, it's just something that's so so mystical, right? Because you can only find it at a Japanese bakery. So yeah. it, it was many decades ago when it came out, right? And it's so hard. You have to be like in California or you have to be in Tokyo to find it, right? And then now you can bake it at home. And it, it's this amazing jiggly cheesecake that comes out of the oven, right? Mm. But there's so much science behind it, right? So how do you get it not to crack on the top? How do you get it not to have a custard on the bottom? And how do you get it to be so fluffy and delightful, right? <laughs> and then after you put it into the refrigerator, it transforms into this light, fluffy, but not like jiggly cheesecake anymore. So it has two phases, right? It has that warm, delicious fluffiness, like a like a cloud in your mouth. And then it becomes a real cheesecake after you refrigerate it. And then this part might be because um, Freud might say that I have an obsession with um, breastfeeding because my mom never <laughs> breastfed me. And then it's the jiggle of it that reminds me of, <laughs> you know. You're going into the deep psychological <laughs> yeah, so, part of so it. So if I you want to know like why I like jiggly cheesecakes, like something about food that jiggles just like appeals to me so massively. So yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I totally, I didn't even realize until you just mentioned it right now. I'm like, yeah, there is a set, set, sense of, like appeal to like the little <laughs> like jellos and jiggly because some desserts um we have also some Vietnamese desserts as well as like uh like gelatin kind yeah. of like uh desserts and I remember as a kid I always wanted to eat those and I used to just like just pop those because usually come in bite size and now we just eat those I've kind of, I'm forgetting the the name of it but um just like the colorfulness and usually comes like green and or it's like some kind of pandan dessert oh pandan is so good um but that's that's really great. I mean, l- listeners, right now, what 
Kat just described, if your mouth isn't salivating, because <laughs> mine is like the way that you were describing, I was just like picturing it in my head. I was like, man, that sounds really good. But、mm-hmm. Japanese cheesecake, I've never had it. I feel、oh, like I'm、no. missing out. I know. I'm sure. I, so I live in the Bay Area, and you know, we have San Francisco. And usually, San Francisco is a, is like a good place, especially in like Japantown, Koreatown, and in the、um, Asian enclaves. There's a good good chance that you could find these little things, but I don't know. I haven't、um, haven't found it or heard of it yet. I'm sure there is. Oh、so、no! If anyone out there, you know anything? <laughs> any places in San Francisco? Maybe I'm gonna have to find you a sob baker to make you one. <laughs> <laughs> that would、or、be. Or find you find be... you a bakery around San Fran. There's plenty of Japanese cheesecakes there. I'm sure of. I'm sure. I'm sure. I just need to go out and seek it. Although, you know, recently, just yesterday, I had、um, there was this bakery that just opened up in Japantown in San Francisco, and they had galbi croissant. Ooh, I know. So it was like galbi meat with some cheese and、oh, wow. some kind of like、uh, sauce in it in a croissant. <laughs> and, and I was like, "What is this?" But it was so good. Like the croissant itself was super flaky, buttery, but then the meat was very tender, and that savoriness was. It's just like a perfect mix and balance of taste.、Um, <laughs> I was blown away. It was like one of those moments where you're just like, "Whoa, what did I just eat? I just had a little angel that flew into my mouth." <laughs> okay, we we need a lunch break now. I'm yeah, so hungry. No, we're just well, I know we're just gonna talk about food this whole time, you know. <laughs>、um, but now that the、uh, subtle Asian baking has kind of grown into something much. Very large and impactful for a lot of、uh, our community members. I'm curious in terms if you could share and ter-、uh, share a little bit of, about what it takes to kind of manage a page like this now or a group like this now. Now that it's <laughs> kind of like started for a while. Oh wow! So like this morning, I woke up at six thirty to get ready for a meeting with another podcaster. We were doing a discovery call, and we had the same、mm-hmm. conversation. And this is a full time job for me right now that doesn't pay. <laughs> So sadly, <laughs> but it's a lot of work. Like,、um, so a lot of the stuff that we post on Instagram、uh, historically has been repost with credit, right? So if someone tags us, we would repost them. We'll give them,、right. you know, kudos, and then it's mutually beneficial. We have content, and we're able to boost them organically as well, right?、Mm-hmm. But now everyone wants reels and TikToks videos. So I've、yeah. been creating a lot of that content on my own, like doing the video creation. And that takes a lot of time. So you have to do the editing, then you have to do, you know, the、um, uh, the, the thumbnails for the pictures, and you have to find the find the music, and then the captions, and all of that. It's really a full time job, right?、Mm-hmm. So on top of that, I'm also marketing a lot for、um, the cookbook that's coming out, Modern Asian Baking at Home, and that's another full time job. So I've told someone, I've told a reporter recently that I'm working Monday through Sunday from the moment、mm-hmm. I wake up to like. Midnight when I sleep, like just being able to answer all the comments and then to to approve posts on on Facebook,、um, and then to do the TikTok to manage the Instagram as well. It's been a lot of work.、Um, it's all consuming, and then I find that you know nowadays it, it feels like you're a content farm. Mm. For these social media giants, which is a little unfortunate, yeah, yeah.、Um, but it's still it's something I chose for myself now. So I went from healthcare, right, healthcare burnout, to now full bakeout, and then content、mm-hmm. strategist and media. I do have help on the Facebook group. We have a group of、um, five volunteer moderators, and most of them have been with us since 2020, and they they are amazing. Like they're from all parts、mm. of the world, and they don't. 
they don't ask for anything from us. Just it's joy for them to moderate this amazing community and group. So I'm so thankful for them. But if the group grows any bigger and then we start getting more of a revenue stream from like partnerships and brands, I do feel like I would need some like maybe interns or like, you know, um, a part-time social media right. strategist to help out. Uh, is that the goal? Is that kind of the next phase for you? I, I feel like there's a lot of projects that are upcoming, right? So mm -hmm. we have our first cookbook. A second cookbook is eventual, right? If this one sells really nicely. And then we have a big project we can't announce yet. So once that comes out, yes, eventual, I, I, I foresee that, um, this group will probably potentially not triple, maybe like, maybe tenfold in popularity. So eventually right. I will, I will need that help, but we'll, we need that sustainability piece first and that revenue stream first. For sure. It sounds like what you described, yes, sounds like a very full-time job. I mean, more than a full-time job. You said <laughs> it's like Monday through Sunday. Yeah. Right? Even with a full-time job for most Americans, you get your weekends off. I just want to check with you. Are you having fun at least? Are you enjoying it? I have to say I am because okay. I'm the Good. best boss to work for. There's no, <laughs> yes. like you're working for yourself, right? I'm critical yes. on myself and yet I take care of myself, right? I've realized um, that I think this has always been my path because I've had like maybe 10 different jobs in 13 years as a physical therapist. And I always realized I've had all these grand ideas, but I've always felt stifled because mm -hmm. maybe they were bypassed and maybe because I was, you know, always a younger Asian female. And then my ideas mm. were not heard, you know, not implemented and not appreciated as much. There's that whole right. meteorocracy that we talk about, right? Um, yeah. So like you have to excel in excelling. So so now, you know, I'm tough on myself, but I'm also good on myself. You know, I do take video game breaks, right? So that's a perk of oh, working, yeah. what are you playing working right now? from home. I play Overwatch. I play, um, my husband just got me a game. I'm like, I'm so busy. And he got me this thing <laughs> called Triangle Strategy. Uh -huh. I, he just likes it that I'm introverted and extroverted, but he likes keeping me at home and busy with video games. And then I play. Um, You're not playing Elden Ring. Yeah, uh, I, I think saw that's like that. The next big game. I, right I now. saw that. I saw that. Is it like Skyrim? If it's like Skyrim, I would play it. Um, yeah, um, I I think it's basically kind of like Skyrim, but it's more Dark Souls, so, right? It, yeah, it's but it's in the context of um, Tolkien, so like Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings stuff, but it's a open world. Uh, role-playing adventure game yeah so I, I just finished skyrim again so that would be a good next game <laughs> i tried getting into skyrim i didn't have time to finish it i got pretty into it as well um but then something happened i just like slowly phased out of it it's hard for me to really stick with the game um i think fallout was pretty good oh, i know I we're love just fallout. like yeah oh my gosh but before <laughs> yeah, fallout they, was pretty good before they destroyed it with like no npcs yeah that was the latest one right that one sucked <laughs> yeah sorry oh yeah yeah no yeah no 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 i i think the one that i played that i really enjoyed was uh fallout four yes or was it three yeah four yeah four was like the last really good one and then they the one after that like apparently just completely got torn apart by the gaming community because yeah. they just like try to do too much and then it yeah. was terrible it was like an empty barren world where you play with other people but it was buggy as heck and there was yeah. no storyline i was like what am i doing in this barren wasteland it really feels like the apocalypse right <laughs> <laughs> like it was truly you're just like there and you're like okay well yeah. i have no direction there's no story to gotta go i want with. to kill some npcs i need that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the fun of it right come on um 
<laughs> Sorry, but yeah, we talk about <laughs> games. So we found another thing that we're like in common, but that's really great. Um, but yeah, that's good that you're you're still taking the time to enjoy and you know have time for yourself to play games. You having I, I have to understand that you having the the autonomy to kind of do what you think is right, feels right, working uh, with other people, but you setting that kind of like the, the direction of what mm-hmm. you want to take subtle Asian bacon, having your own agency in your business is uh, quite liberating because as you said, you worked in, you know, other jobs for quite some time, but most of the time we're always kind of working for someone else yep. in yeah. a way, right? Unless you have, uh, yeah, unless you're you're the your own boss or the uh, CEO of like a big company. But yeah, most of the time we're working for someone else. And so when you get to that you know, that that chance to do your own thing, you're like, oh wow, like it, like your curiosity kind of t- guides you, mm-hmm. you know, in terms yep. of like learning so much. What have you? I would say I know there's still, I'm sure there's a lot more to learn, um, but. In the past year or since starting Subtle Asian Baking, what about yourself have you learned that you didn't quite know before? Well, I think it's time for reflection that's very needed. And then also you need to listen to other people. So it can't Mm. always be about like your ideas, right? So I do a lot of polling of the SOB members and see what they like. You know, I I listen to other people, you know, and then I've gotten so much criticism and like, you know, hateful comments too and like racism. Mm. So it it also activated the activist in me too and gave me more purpose and things like that. So I think um, the lessons learned are, you know, give yourself grace, you know, rest when you can, you know, you can't do everything yourself and you have to listen to the advice of others, right? To succeed, you can't just be a one woman team. There's no, there's no team in just one person, right? So you, you have to take advice of others and so forth. I love the fact that you, you said you are critical yourself. You're always kind of self-aware of what you're doing and making sure it's for the right cause and for the right reason. There was something that someone said to me one time, um, that stuck with me is if you're going to be your biggest critic, you have to also be your your own biggest fan. Yeah, you also have to have I'm sure so confident almost where it's not like arrogance or anything like that, but you're so confident. You're like I really truly believe in this thing that you're doing, and yeah. you know I can definitely sense that. That's really great. And people won't believe you if you don't sound like you believe in yourself, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have that confidence, how do you? Uh, you know, convince brands to partner with you or like convince yeah. your moderators to stay with you for like two years and, you know, have sure. have a community and so forth. So you mentioned uh, writing a book, couple of books and another uh, project that's in the works. Can I pitch an idea to you? Yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. I would love. Let me type uh, it down. <laughs> a, a baking cook-off or baking competition show. That would be great to see. Yes. Let, let the people at a great British bake-off know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Because, you know, baking shows, cooking competitions, they're so huge. And I enjoy, I, I freaking love watching them. I'm a terrible baker. I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> I... I, I'm like okay at cooking, but whenever I tried baking, it's just, it's so hard for me because you have to be so exact. And yeah, yeah, and I'm just not that precise. But you can't follow a recipe, Raymond? I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know right? That's what my friends always tell me. They're like, you're just following a recipe. How can you exactly. mess it up? I'm like, you know what? I don't know. It just doesn't work out for me. Well, but start with uh, some like cake boxes, you know, box yeah. cakes. Do that first. Yeah, definitely. But yes, I would love to see uh, a cooking competition uh, where you've got, you know, you've got your judges. Maybe you can be the judge or you can be the the master of ceremonies. And, you know, and, and you just have like these great 
competitors baking it out. I would love to see that. That would be great, especially if it was like all within the subtle Asian baking yes, community. Yes, absolutely. So hopefully from your mouth to God's ears. And we yeah. already are doing a lot of global bake-offs. So since 2020, Subtle Asian Baking has hosted uh, and co-hosted global bake-offs online remotely for people all over the world to join. Mm-hmm. And our themes have always been like something that's Asian inspired or like, you know, an Asian mm-hmm. um, holiday. So we just did our mooncakes um, bake-off during mid-autumn festival. We just did our Lunar New Year bake-off. We have hundreds and hundreds of bakers like baking um, during these bake-offs all the time. And it's amazing. And they all win something. You know, there's a prize package. There's an apron. And then this year, for the first time, there was like a trophy just like on Nailed It. <laughs> nice. Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max. If you're listening right now, reach out to Kat. Yes. Get together a subtle Asian baking <laughs> cook-off, the subtle Asian bake-off. Oh, man. I would, would tune in immediately. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Let's manifest <laughs> it, okay? Manifest, manifest it. it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's super great. I'm super excited to continue seeing the journey and the growth of subtle Asian baking. So all of our listeners out there at this point, go search subtle Asian baking on Instagram uh, and Facebook, whether you bake or not. Um, if you just want straight bakery porn uh on social media man it's 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 hard to it's hard to go through your page on a full stomach because you're like oh man i already ate but like i'm looking at all these cakes and pastries and desserts and you're just like do i want to go get something right now you know so it's really (laughs) it's really tempting it's it's i'm sure it's all by intention it's gotta wet the palate everything (laughs) yes yes literally (laughs) okay let's get into our film today so we're gonna talk Uh, A little bit about House of Flying Daggers. Again, I mentioned a 2004 classic wuxia film. Um, Let me just kind of go through the synopsis just as a refresher. If you've seen the movie or if you want to watch the movie, I can kind of give it a brief overview. So it starts, it sets in AD 859. There is, it centers around a rebel group named the House of Flying Daggers, pretty cool name, which aims to take down the corrupt government. And it's, Features two police officers, Leo, played by the iconic Andy Lau, and Jin, the played by Takeshi Kaneshiro, another iconic actor. Um, they are ordered to kill the leader of the group, which is kind of impossible because actually no one actually knows who the leader of the House of Flying Daggers is. Uh, and then we're introduced to a character named Mei, played by the uh, other iconic actor, Zhang Ji. And Leo arrests Mei, a blind dancer who is suspected to be part of the House of Flying Daggers. But as she's in jail, Jin breaks Mei free, pretending to that he is a rebel sympathizer, an act which gains Mei's trust. As Mei and Jin travel to the House of Flying Daggers headquarters, Leo trails behind with reinforcements. Mei and Jin fall in love during their journey as they're running away from the soldiers. However, turns out, Leo is actually a member of the House of Flying Daggers and used to be Mei's lover. What? And Mei is ordered to kill Jin, but sets him free because she ultimately does love him. Leo finds them both, stabs Mei with a dagger, and Jin and Leo battle it out. So at this point, this is like the final scene, Leo decides to pretend to throw his dagger, intending to die by Mei's dagger, which she has taken out of her breast, while sparring Jin. However, Mei attempts to use her dagger to intercept Leo's dagger in a fight. The result ends up that neither Leo nor Jin dies, but only Mei dies. Very, very sad ending. So, a very, very artistic and visually beautiful film. 
I want to just kind of go over quickly my big takeaway from it. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it, Kat. You know, for me, I think a big takeaway from this film is actually part of like this larger indication of how globalized Chinese culture was becoming. The movie came out in 2004. And it also came out on the heels of other widely popular wuxia films in Hero in 2002. And of course, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in 2000. And, you know, while wuxia was not entirely new at this point, it had become successful. I feel like these three films, especially with House of Flying Daggers, it had almost kind of successfully crossed over into American and Western culture and became commercial successes. And the style and the majesticness and of the film and all that stuff and of, of Wuxia really fascinated Western audiences, partly because I think it was just, I also had kind of had to do with like the exoticism of the East. So I think that was one of the big takeaways from the film, It kind of reflecting back on it and watching it, how it was um, so widely accepted by Western cultures. I think it, it was very significant. Like I was 20 when the film came out. And it was really for the first time where you had an Asian movie where you had Asian characters, the males were not comical, you know? I mean, mm. Jin's, Jin's portrayal was was that he was a playboy, flirtatious, right. slightly comical, you know? It was all part of his, like, boyish charm. But finally, you have, like, you know, two Asian men on screen, and they were actually sexy. Oh, yeah. Right? And Andy Lau, man. Right? And they, like you said, <laughs> iconic, you know? Like, you don't really see that. I mean, even to, to the today... I mean, we say that Simulu is super sexy, right? In, in like Shang-Chi, but he didn't have a real romantic interest, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't have a kiss scene. He wasn't seen as a romantic partner, even in his movie, right? But here you had Takeshi Kaneshiro. Oh my gosh. Super, <laughs> yeah. super sexy. And now people could say like, you know, there's appeal in, in Asian actors, not just mm -hmm. that they're, you know, kung fu fighters and people who are funny, right? And then you had, um, he had Mei Zhang Ziyi, who was not overly sexualized. She was a badass. So I felt this movie was amazing. And that also there was still that mystical appeal too, like you said, like, you know, that mystical Asian appeal, <laughs> right? Right. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, had to be there for, for the audience. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to give it a bit of a Western appeal too. For sure. And, you know, like, like House of Flying Daggers, uh, I think just amazed audiences. And I kind of just briefly read through some of the critical reviews that um, that were written about it when it came out in 2004. And the consensus was really about its exciting action sequences, um, which was super, you know, was, was awesome to watch. Uh, the choreography of it was, was exquisite. Uh, you could see the full action. You can tell that the actors, you know, putting in a lot of work to kind of make it seem real. But underneath it, it's like this complicated love story interwoven through its plot. And so I think for me, it was kind of like this question of what are the limits of a soldier's duties? Uh, and, you know, how far are we willing to go to go against those duties, even if it involves hurting, like hurting the person that, you know, we love? Yeah, it boils down to like a, a tragic love story. Yeah, and we see certainly see the the growing love between May and Jin unfold in front of they in front of their eyes and in front of our eyes as they survive each ambush together. I I remember I was like when they just like couldn't catch a break. I was like they, I was like <laughs> the, watching the watching the film. I was like man, they're just everywhere they're being found 
everywhere. It was like this massive land that keep getting found. But yeah, it was really um, interesting to see that. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I felt like I, after the first reveal uh, that Jin was still working for Leo, I was like, oh man, it's hard to tell what their true intentions were. Yeah, I feel like the whole movie was based on lies and deceit. You know, you have all that beautiful imagery, right? Um, right. Across the scenery and, you know, the costumes, the ro- rococo looks and, and things like that. And yet there's so much like falsities. Mm-hmm. Like who's lying? Who's not? Who are they? Is she really blind? You know, why did he do yeah. what he did? Like everything unfolds as deceit. That's why I was thinking too. And I was like, oh, I did. I was like, is she really blind? And then, and then you see her pouring the tea and it's like, she's looking at it and we're like, oh, um, fun fact that I did find about uh, Zhang Ziyi's preparation for the role is that she spent like two months uh, living with, or I think living with a family with a blind girl. And so yeah. she like basically studied her in terms of how to portray a blind person and everything like that. But, but you, you said it perfectly. The, the deceitfulness, the lies, mm-hmm. and it's almost kind of like they are bound to the misery that comes from being able to like to, from the heavy burdens they carry from carrying on that lie. And I think, you know, for me, it's like they're so misery. And you know what they say, like misery loves company, <laughs> you know? And so that's why they kind of are just drawn towards each other. Yeah, they're like just bound by, you know, their duties, their responsibilities, their loyalties and things like that. And and like they can't just live their real lives, right? Once that deceit is unfolded, like it looks like the end comes and it's a tragedy. Let's go into our love it, leave it segment. Um, Kat, what's the what's the one biggest thing that you really loved about this film? Okay, so full honesty, and I even I woke up this morning and I told my husband, I was like, the only person I'll ever leave you for is a 25-year-old Takeshi Kaneshiro. And <laughs> that guy has been the love of my life since I was a kid, right? So, <laughs> And he's so cool. He's so reclusive. Like, you, you don't know what's going on with him until, like, a movie comes out, right? right. And so he was just so joyful in, in this movie. Like, every scene with him was, was like, serotonin for me. So mm. love everything about um, Takeshi Kaneshiro and all of his scenes. What about a thing that you kind of didn't like? Maybe it was one thing where you didn't quite love so much about the film. I think the the two scenes where it was more for a shock factor, like the um, the the sexual assault. So the one thing that I didn't mm-hmm. like, I know I know Jin was um, it was all an act, right? It's playing good cop and bad cop. So the scene in the brothel where he, you know, assaults May, and I I found that un, like distasteful. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course the second one where you know Leo is so angry and so in love with. May and so sad yeah. that she like betrayed him that he almost rapes her. So I, I feel like these, I mean, maybe it's something that's more common back then, the sexual assault and like women just being mere objects, right? But I, I guess I didn't really like seeing that as a young woman. And then, you know, now in my 30s, seeing that again, I felt, ooh, not really. <laughs> so I would leave that. Yeah, you know, interesting you say that. That's also my leave it too. Um, what was interesting is, it was hard to watch. I, I know I've seen this film w- when it came out when, when I was much younger. Um, I just didn't register. And I think like you is like, okay, this is a shock factor. But I also kept it, I kept in mind, okay, this is just Jin's character. And also, you know, Leo's very obviously distraught. So I kind of gave reason to the sexual assault 
scenes, but watching it now and uh, just like the the education and awareness that we have in terms of how we treat women and then also how women are treated on screen. And I just felt like it was it was cringe and it was like hard to watch. And I was like, well, so interesting. And I just had a moment where I was like thinking to myself, it's like how we're so acutely aware of these kinds of behaviors on screen now, because obviously we don't see that so much on screens, hopefully. I do want to take it a little bit further. So like to continue with my leave it is that other than the display of that, I think as much as I love May's character, it was hard for me to accept the fact that uh, she still kind of gave somewhat justification to Jin's behavior when they ultimately did fall in love and like they did sleep together in the field. I'm assuming they slept together. And so I was kind of like, man, it, it was just like, I wish that didn't have to, that didn't lead into that. But I understand it's like a love story and that's how she like felt towards him. But I just wish like, hey, Jen, maybe don't assault people if you want to show that they really love someone. But yeah, that's my, that's my thing about the, the leave it. I agree. <laughs> my love it is uh, definitely the action, the martial arts film. Actually, a very specific thing was the Echo game. Yeah. I was like, whoa, that's, I mean, I don't know if that's, really real but it's just really cool how they portrayed it and then with uh, the the ribbon and the fabric that may was portraying but really it was the actual the the fight sequences and the choreography of it it's something that this movie did really well um and i you know as i mentioned i've been on kind of like a wuxia binge for some reason watching all these films just like back to back but then I also every now and then go back and watch American action films. And you can just see the stark difference. Like American action films, more or less, especially if it's like hand-to-hand combat. It's all like quick cut, close up. You can't really see anything, right? And so you're kind of conditioned to be like, oh, this is like kind of lame. But when you see a lot of the wuxia films and the martial arts films, and you can see the actors really kind of go at it. It's it's really, it's much more impressive and more enjoyable to watch, honestly. So. Absolutely. Is that is that the same for you too? Kind of when you watch these movies, you're like, okay, not that much choreography. I do. I I feel like it's a lot of it is like like you said, and then a lot of it is like reactions where a guy gets punched and then he goes, whoa, it's a little comical, oh. a little comical. But here we have like so many action scenes that are so beautiful and well choreographed, um, choreographed. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. English is my third language. Oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, it adds a lot of like flow and movement and the wind and the music mm-hmm. and so many beautiful things going on, right? So um, I think that's the beauty of Wuxia. And then I think you and I connect to it so much too because I don't know about you. I grew up watching like TVB, right? So mm-hmm. it's a lot of like action series, TV drama. So very similar to what you see here, you know, the wire, people on wires. We, we even have something funny that people say in Cantonese, the wire, <laughs> people on a wire, but it looks so oh, beautiful yeah. and, and, and yeah. nice and so artsy. So yeah, I agree with you. It, it Also with the, the scenery that it took place in with the forest and, you know, most of the scenes were shot in outdoors in the forest and also there's a snow and where there's snow in it as well so it really went through all four seasons i did read that you know most of the filming was shot in ukraine yeah which yeah which was very you know very interesting and of course our hearts go out to ukraine right now absolutely um and they spent so much time out there uh filming it but it, it just shows like the beautiful landscape that they were able to work with I want to talk about just messages 
you know, so aesthetically, visually, the film was quite lovely to watch and enjoyable to watch, as we mentioned. For you, any any messages you pulled out of the film? I would have to say, like, you know, love, you know, it's a mm-hmm. message of love. It's in the core of it is that love triangle, love story, right? And then it shows you that, you know, Leo had, had loved May for three years and they're engaged to get married. And then you have this love at first sight that happened despite, you know, the sexual assault, even though it was faked, right? And then it happens in the span of three days. So it just mm. shows you the complexities of human nature and human love, right? Yeah. It also makes me think about, you know, all the Disney movies and how you have mm-hmm. love at first sight with the, the Little Mermaid, Snow White, <laughs> Cinderella, yeah. and then how Frozen made fun of it, right? But then I th- I thought about it again. I was like, you know, maybe it is real, right? The whole whole love thing, it can happen in a span of three days. It can happen in a span of three years that's the beauty of human nature and how we are able to feel love so those are the messages i took away i tell you if you are running away and fighting off multiple multiple soldiers with someone i figured you gotta fall in love at that point (laughs) that that'll definitely put you through a very quick fast lane of developing a relationship trying to run away uh and saving your life and actually having to save each other's lives multiple times right um, yeah, that's a that's a really important message uh, for me too. Uh, it's just this like messy love triangle. I kind of want to talk about the very 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 ending of the movie. So in the end, in the end, and I'll try to describe it as best as I can, right? And I just thought that it was so interesting how they shot this. So Leo and May are running uh, running away together, but then a flying dagger f- goes comes out of nowhere by Leo and hits May in the chest, and she falls down. Jin comes back to get May, but then ends up fighting. So Leo and Jin are fighting together. And then there's like this standoff, right? So there's this epic standoff that May says she threatens to kill Leo if Leo kills Jin. So what happens is that Leo pretends to throw the dagger at Jin, but doesn't really. And because of that, May throws her dagger in, in order to intercept the dagger. So it's not that she didn't throw her dagger to kill Leo. She did it to stop Leo from killing Jin. Right? Did I describe that? Yes. <laughs> Correct? It really pon- it made me ponder that. It's like she threatened to kill Leo, but didn't actually. Leo threatened to kill Jin, but didn't actually. So like, what does that all mean? Yeah. So she threatened to kill Leo, but she didn't. So which means that she still loves him. Oh, huh. That's my my thought, right? That's my takeaway. You know, you can't just suddenly unlove someone that you've loved for three years. You know, she, right? She Even though has, they stabbed you, yeah, and, and tried to rape you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a movie. It's all yeah, fake, yeah, yeah. fictional. So I feel. I mean, if she, if you were to kill someone, that means there's no love left, right? So mm-hmm. I, I feel like she still had love left. So she didn't want him to die, and she didn't want Jin to die because, of course, she now loves Jin, right? So ultimately, she's like, you know, I can't have either because they don't believe in polyamory, polyamory, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't want to share. Yeah. If I were the director or you had a female director, like, let's rewrite the movie for this day. I'll have them in a real love triangle, right? And then the three (laughs) of them can live happily ever after. Yeah. 
And we know there were homosexuals in in ancient China, so it totally、mm. flies, and I, it would be a, a totally different movie. It'll be a happy, there you go, very nice ending. <laughs> But yes,、yeah, so、like, and I feel that. Um, Leo, you know, threatening to kill Jin, but didn't really kill him because it was a fake dagger that he throws. That only means one thing: she said she would kill him. He wants to die, so and he knows、mm. that if she throws the dagger, you know, she would die because she'd bleed out. So then, ultimately, he would have her in the afterlife. So that's a good way. I see. Yeah, because right, because he, it's like almost kind of like Leo's accepted the fact that. He he doesn't think May doesn't love him anymore, so he's like, okay, I'll I'll go ahead and die because even in your dying breath, you're you're admitting that you love this other man and、yeah. not me anymore, right?、Mm-hmm. But in the end, she does die, and Jin and Leo end up with nothing. Yeah, so, <laughs> themselves. Yeah, themselves <laughs> running away. You know,、um, and that's a, such a clever way of kind of capturing that human emotion and and that dilemma that we. That I feel like you know a lot of people do have. Sometimes there's multiple people that you could be in love with, but then you meet someone that's just a certain type of energy.、Um, I'm curious. I mean, I know this was kind of like a very existential question, but do you think it's possible for someone to love two people at the same time? Oh, absolutely, absolutely.、Mm. There's so many people in like the polygamy, like you know, world. Yeah. And also, like going back to the movie, they were all lying to each other, so none of them knew the extent of love that they had for each other, right? So that's、right. why, either way, someone was gonna die, right? And then, um, to your question is if you can love two people, the love can be different. Like I love my son, and I love my husband. Right, I love them on an eco plane, but differently.、Mm. And I also love my dog to death. Right, so I would do anything for her. Right, so yeah, a person's、uh, the extent of how much you can love is is endless, yeah, exponential. Yeah. Right,、mm-hmm. but if you're saying romantic love, it's just tiring. Like to have <laughs> romantic love for multiple people, that's expensive and tiring. Like imagine a guy with three girlfriends, and they all live in different states, and then you have to remember all the birthdays, their names, and、mm. <laughs> all of all of the all presents the that、members. they like. You know, yeah, yeah. It makes me think of Don Draper in Mad Men, which I love. Yeah. You know how, how does he like love、keep、all、track. these women and keep track? And then his wife Betty says, you know, sometimes when we're making love. You know what I like, and then some other times it's like you're you're you know、uh, pleasing another woman in bed that's not me, right? So I, I I think it's totally possible. Is it very productive or fruitful? I don't、yeah. think so, right? right? There's a there's a reason we have marriage laws, you know, and there's and there's also <laughs> reasons why people cheat, right? And I'm not for、yeah. that. I'm not for、mm-hmm. that. But I can see how、um, May had her love for Leo, and her, May had her love for Jin. I think what she and Jin had was like chemistry and like、mm-hmm. true love and like love at first sight, like all of that. And then what、like、she had soulmate Leo, love, yeah, like like it was like a destined like but、yeah. star cross like Romeo and Juliet, Helen of、mm-hmm. Troy kind of thing. And then what and, she ended had, the same way, very tragic, yeah. Right, and then what she had for Leo was that long platonic, you know, loyalty love. That、right. kind of faded. The chemistry kind of faded, you know, or and the attraction kind of faded. He was obviously still lusting for her, but I don't think her as much for him, which I don't get because Andy Lau is amazing. <laughs> he looks like my dad. It's crazy.、Um, wow, your dad's a good-looking man. Yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so、um, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, no, but I think you, I think the way you approached it is pretty spot on. It's you know, and there's no. Answer to it, if you if you think about it. I mean, there's no right way. People 
are are different in terms of what their priorities are and what they seek out in life and what their goals are and uh you know a movie that movie that's why i think this movie is so cleverly put together because again it kind of starts with this massive assuming to be epic battle between uh, a rebel group and the government but then it kind of goes drills down into this 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 triangle you just think, okay, there's just three significant main characters, two policemen, one uh, are is supposedly a rebel fighter or this master blind martial artist turns out that she's not, turns out they're not who they are, and then they they all love each other and so they have to choose and they're 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 wrestling with all these emotions and choices that they have to make and like it just culminates and starts to build up until the very end. And unfortunately, May's character uh, dies and she, did, you know, ultimately makes a choice as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that kind of tone and put to put it in a way where it's also entertaining to watch with like a wuxia style again with like the colors and the fighting. I think those kinds of films is that kind of film and a film like this is really what really attracted a lot of american audiences and critics alike so i think that was uh the way that you put it was really really spot on there's just so much double crossing it was so, it was so much <laughs> double crossing in the movie it was like oh man i can't i don't know who to trust i don't know who no one to trust. you can't trust any of them <laughs> i just wish i would have liked to see more of the house of flying daggers like the actual group it would have been really yeah, cool yeah yeah it, it boiled down to not the you know the group versus the government it was just like yeah. it became the three-person dance and story which i mm-hmm. liked because i do like you know seeing humans you know conflicts and, and things like that but it could have been more epic maybe they thought about a second movie house of flying daggers too Mm, possibly. possible. I mean, yeah, I would love to see the operations of the House of Flying Daggers. I would love to see, like, May in the past getting trained. Maybe, you know, a prequel would be amazing. Like the beginning of the House of Flying Daggers, how they formed yeah. this, like, new world. That's a good idea. I think, again, that's another show, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max out there put together, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're coming up with great ideas over here. It could be a series, too. It could be a TV yeah. series. And I want to know the ending. Like, do does the leader get found? You know, what happened to these two, like, mm-hmm. four men who now are lonely and sad and mortally wounded or whatever? <laughs> right. What what happened afterwards? Yeah, and who then wins? I, I, I want to add your little uh, potential idea as well in terms of having a polyamorous relationship. Yeah, that's okay too. Go for you it. Know. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's just have everyone just love together. Exactly. <laughs> let's talk about personal impact, though. Um, why do you think this is what one of your favorite movies, and how did it personally impact you? Well, of course, I got to see my boyfriend on screen, so that was amazing. You there you know, go. Got to see a guy who looked like my dad on screen, even though he did some. Pretty nice. nasty, nasty things. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. um, I felt represented. You know, I felt I felt represented. I felt I felt seen. You know, people that look like us. You know, I was twenty years old. Finally, a movie where the Asian wasn't the butt of a joke. You know, not didn't have to be funny. Not that I don't like the funny. I love Jackie Chan's movies. Right? There was nothing that felt racist about it. Mm. It just felt beautiful. It felt like something that people started to respect. And then more of these movies came out, you know. It wasn't until, like, much later on that we had more big screen movies like Crazy Rich Asians and uh, now Shang-Chi and Bling Empire and things like that. But it was Mm -hmm. one of those movies where you saw Asians as beautiful, sexy people. 
Yeah, amazing people that don't have to be overly sexualized. And then they're just so, you know, so impactful for me as a, as a young Asian American female growing up in America who uh, we didn't have fresh off the boat show back then. We didn't have like, you know, the Kim's convenience. We didn't have any of that. You know, we rarely saw Asians on the big screen, you know? So just seeing this movie just felt so magical for me. So impactful, so wonderful. And just seeing Takeshi Kaneshiro, like any of his movies, they're a must see. Yeah. I mean, um, you mentioned like Jackie Chan, it reminded me of this tidbit that I found that Anita Mui, who was in the Rumble of the Bronx movie, Jackie Chan movie, she was actually supposed to be in this movie. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, she died before. Um, and she was supposed to have a, a major role in the movie, but unfortunately, she died from cervical cancer. The year before the movie came out. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And we see it right in the, at the I think it, I think it's at the end, it says that it, uh, the movie was dedicated to her. So yeah. uh, I would have loved to see, I, I loved Anita Mui back, back then, and I thought she was always great. And I would have loved to see her in this one and especially continue to pursue her acting career. I mean, I know she's a big singer as well, but yeah, I loved her as an actor as well. Me too. For me, personal impact, again, um, I, I think very, very similar to you and shared shared thoughts of being uh, represented uh, on screen and being well-received by Western and critics all over the world, not just the Western world, uh, of, of this film and Wuxia and, and such a important Chinese culture. Um, and I know it's like, also, it's like something for me to continually ask myself is that, you know, yes, we don't really necessarily need Western validation in a way, but to see it do, do cross over cultural lines and become globalized just felt like there was some progress as, you know, things were kind of progressing in the world. Now, early, this came out in 2004, early on. And so it was just giving American and Western audiences, showing them, uh, showing Asians in a positive light, which I think was the next, which led into the next step where we can be, uh, we can also occupy more quote unquote American type cultures and representation, but with Asian people in a mm-hmm. sense of more of a specific, like actual, like Asian American stories. And we're seeing a lot of those films come out today. A film like this, House of Flying Daggers, you know, Hero, Crouching Tigers, the other films that I mentioned, um, it's nice to kind of go back and trace back the, the, the foundations, if you will, like the little starting points where you see um, Asian Americans start to occupy a more prominent position in pop culture. Yeah, it humanized the characters, you know, Asians are humans too. We have all these feelings. We have all these needs and urges. We can lie. Right. We can be deceitful, deceitful, and you know, we can fight. <laughs> but we mm-hmm. can also cry and feel, and you know, be in pain. And it was just so beautiful to watch. Uh, okay, so let's go into our final segment, MVP. I'm curious for you, who's your MVP, most valuable person, player from the movie? Well, I'll have to say girl power, Zhang Ziyi, because like you said, she had to spend time with a girl who was blind to like really, you know, do all of that with like her eyes just looking like she really was blind. That's just so amazing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and then changing from that the portrayal of her character there as a blind dancer to now this um, fighter for the House of Flying Daggers, you know, all the uh, changes in the emotion in her face, all the 
all the scenes that she were in, she was able to fight, she was able to dance, and I'm sh- I know that some parts of it were not her. <laughs> there were stunt doubles because mm-hmm. every time she was like flipping around, and then we catch a glimpse, and I was like, "That's a man face. <laughs> That's a man body." But uh, hey, you know, but hey, movie she magic, could, <laughs> exactly movie magic. But hey, she could still like do that standing split. That was amazing, and like all mm-hmm. the other scenes where she's like flying like a ballerina and mm. so she is absolutely the mvp right and then the second one would be takashi because he was actually injured during the movie or before the movie and a lot of the scenes he had to do sitting down to have some comfort so like to be able to mm. portray this playful character with being in all that pain so kudos to him so my mvp is also zhang ziyi as well yeah. i absolutely love her i'll add on to i mean i i echo and agree with everything that you just said you're 100% spot on I'll add on to it her performances on screen non-fighting non-action sequences but just her acting and her performances on screen I'm kind of pulling together all the different films that I've seen of her uh, in Hong Kong cinema just she, she kind of portrays this magnetism this energy that is so engaging and compelling like uh, I watched um 2046 recently and she plays a very high class like prostitute in that film but again she's very snappy but also complicated and then she kind of brings that same energy over to may but puts all that energy towards the martial arts but also has some powerful display of emotions um she's just super talented yep i do wish her character had a little bit more agency maybe not so centered or uh, so much about the love interests of leo and jen but you know that's the main point of the story but you know i think it obviously it's because it's like more of a love story than an action film but her performance alone was just really fantastic i mean if if they came up and we're talking about movie movie ideas yeah if they came up with may uh just like a solo spin-off film uh how she came to be I would totally watch that if it yes. was, if it meant more screen time for uh, Zhang Ziyi. Now I know that Absolutely. she's a lot older now since this movie, so I don't know. She's only sure forty three. She's not that old. <laughs> no, but and and she looks amazing still. I mean, she doesn't how look like she's you, aged Raymond? much. I'm thirty two. But I was saying, oh, if it was a prequel, a though, if if it was a prequel, she's an older, playing a younger version of her character. That'd be interesting, but. Movie magic, very possible. Asians don't raisin though. That's true. She still That's true. looks twenty, so she'll, <laughs> she'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, no one will. Yeah, exactly. No one will know. It, she'll she'll knock it out of the park. But yeah, she's definitely my MVP as well. Anytime she's in a movie, I'm just like always super interested to watch because she. And what's great is that she dev, does typically play pretty strong. Uh, female characters um mind you like sometimes like especially in this film to put in a situation where it's not so great but kind of just responding to the societal norms that it was back then um but she always usually portrays a character that is very strong and has her own agency which i really like yeah absolutely well that's come to the conclusion of our episode kat thank you so much for joining us today we talked at length about Subtle Asian Baking, so definitely our listeners go out, find Subtle Asian Baking on Facebook and their Instagram page. Follow them if you want just your your appetite always kind of going with the sweets and amazing pictures. Any final last words for our listeners today? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, Ray, I, I encourage you to even you go on modernasianbaking.com and look for our Japanese jiggly cheesecake recipe and <laughs> yes, yes. try it out for yourself. Because if you can master that one, you will become a master baker in no time. <laughs> There you go. I got wise words from Kat herself. I'm going to have to take, take lessons and, and follow her, follow her thank direction. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on. Tune in next time for another episode of Real Asian Podcast.